Amen. I think we could have done a better song than that after communion. Amen. <laughs> wow. Go ahead and have a seat. I love the lyrics to that song. Got them right here, too. I love the uh, verse that said, Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Oh, is that good news or what? I almost lost it over there as they were singing that. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Amen. Good news for us today. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, that's probably about three quarters of the way towards the end almost in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible here today, you'll be able to follow along on the screens behind me, so you can do it that way, or you can even grab your phone, grab the Bible app, or your iPad, or whatever, and, and we'll go in from there. We've been in a sermon series in Philippians for a few weeks now, and uh, really what we're seeing is Paul's painting a picture of the gospel. Uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what really what we celebrated today, what Jesus accomplished for our freedom. And, and he's kind of giving us different perspectives on it. And he's, he's giving us kind of the fruits of the gospel lived out in our lives. And he's going to drill that, that point home today really strongly. And uh, so I'm really excited about today's sermon and the text that we're going to be in. It's uh, Philippians 2. We'll pick up where we left off from last week. Uh, we'll start in verse 12 and go through 18. Uh, just one thing before we jump into the sermon today. Um, next week is our five-year anniversary as Mission View Church. Is that exciting or what? Yeah. So... Um, I am so excited about coming together next week and celebrating that, so, but I just wanted to make you aware of that. Let's go ahead and pray before we read um, God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had in worship. Um, we just thank you for uh, the gift of music that you've given us to, to give back to you, and um, we thank you that we can focus our minds and hearts on the one who saved us. Lord, use me this morning. I surrender to you. Give me the words to share out of your word. We just give this time to you, Father. Have your way in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
God's word for us today. I want to start just by pulling out something here in verse 12, the very first verse that said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That first thing, I want you to maybe underline that in your Bible or whatever, maybe write a note to the side that we're to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We see here a key to the continued theme of obedience that we looked into last week. That this upholding, this working out of our salvation is fueled by or encouraged by beholding the Lord and recognizing Him for who He is. Fear and trembling. Now this this isn't a fear and trembling of the boogeyman under your bed or sharks or whatever. This is like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon in wonder. Anybody here ever been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? Man, it's, I've never been there. I, I really want to get out there. Um, I was out west for a while. lived in Lang- Langley, B.C., which is just about 30 minutes from Vancouver. And I remember, remember hiking Golden Ears. It's just two peaks um, up in the uh, northwest, and it's just amazing. And I remember walking and walking and, and going up this mountain. There's wild blueberries you can eat on the way that were amazing. They're so much better than what we get at, you know, Giant Eagle or whatever today. But I remember it just hours and hours we're hiking up this mountain, and finally there's this scenic lookout. And we go out to the edge of this thing, and it is breathtaking. I mean, it's just amazing. I remember this, this huge waterfall down to our left, and it's just this massive waterfall, and the water down at the bottom of this waterfall was so clear. I mean, like crystal clear. I don't know how deep it was, but the color coming out of that water was like this, this turquoise, bright color. It was amazing. We walked down there, got right beside it, took some pictures, and then I bring the pictures back and, and show the pictures to my parents, and they're just like, oh, that's nice. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. I mean, it was really amazing in person. I mean, but pictures don't do it justice, do they? This, 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 this fear and trembling is, is a sense of awe of who God is. Standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, gazing at the stars in amazement. It's recognizing the majesty, the power, the sovereignty of Almighty God. Creator God who's made all of these things. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? Is he some genie in a bottle that we rub when we need or want something? Or maybe he's like a friendly grandpa sitting in the clouds ready to spoil us. Or maybe he's He's an angry God just waiting for us to mess up so that he can smash us to smithereens. Who is God to you? We need to ask ourselves this question. Is my view of God built on what the whole of Scripture says, or is it based on my experience? Is it, or is it based on what Scripture says? Or what I've been told, maybe? This is theology, the study of the nature of God. This is what we believe. 
And we live out what we believe. Now, none of us gets a free pass on this one. Everybody here, all of us here, and everybody out there in the world believes something about God. Maybe you're sitting out there and you say, I don't believe in God. Well, you believe something. You believe he doesn't exist. We all believe something about God. So the question isn't, are you a theologian or not? The question is, what kind of theologian are you? We're all theologians. We don't get a pass on this. This may be the most important question we ever ask ourselves because of this. What I believe about God informs and determines what I do. Belief determines action. So, so here's what we believe. We believe that God is sovereign, loving, gracious, and kind. That he sent his only son to die for us. Like we celebrated communion today, that, that Jesus died on the cross. We believe in the resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead. That he was dead and buried three days and then rose again, defeating death and sin for you and I. He created us out of love and for good works is what his Bible, is what his word says. That before he created anything, he knew our names. That he knew our names. We believe that he's given each of us gifts to use for his kingdom and for his glory. And that he has a mission for every one of us. We believe that God is three and one. This word, the Trinity, it's not in Scripture. It's a word we've made up to try and wrap our minds around this Godhead, three in one. That it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect in unity, three in one. We can't even wrap our human understanding around this thing. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's beyond us, this Trinity, this this. God three and one. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, and that he is always with us. We believe that there's no secrets with God. We walk around sometimes thinking that, oh, nobody's going to find out about that. Oh, nobody will know about this. God knows. We believe that God knows and sees everything. He sees it all. We believe that God is coming back again to, to judge the living and the dead. That even now, Jesus is setting up a place for us in heaven that we will spend eternity with him. We believe that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make all the wrong things right. Everything that we see in this world that's broken by sin and struggle, and suffering, and pain, that God's going to come back, and all of these things that have perplexed us, and confused us about the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God, and the suffering of man, that God's going to speak into that, and he's going to show us, and reveal to us the whole, the wholeness of his sovereignty, and that we will see that he is good, and that he is all-powerful, 
We stand in awe and we fear and tremble in wonder of who he is. That's who God is. We have to, we have to get a bigger picture. We need a bigger picture of this Savior God, this Creator God, Almighty. Who is God to us? Now we move on to what Paul says next in verse 13, and he says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A couple things I want to point out about this verse. The first one is, it is God who works in us. Think about this for just a second. Everything we just talked about, what we believe, what the Bible says about who God is, this creator, all-powerful, sovereign God, it is him who works in us. What? Are you kidding me? This all-powerful, all-knowing God who's created every human being that's ever walked the planet is working in you. Praise God. He wants to be in relationship with you and me. When we get a bigger picture, when we get a biblical picture of who God is, the vastness of his glory and majesty, and then it comes down to right here that he is working in us. We can't lose. That's what that means. We can't lose. He has already won. This is good stuff. Amen? Amen. It is God who works in us. Johann Bingle adds, this is a great theologian. He says, when Christ is proposed to us as an example, which he is just a couple weeks back, we looked into that. The inference, or the therefore that we read, is that we should uphold or work out the salvation that he has already procured for us. So now that we are in a healthy fear and trembling and wonder and seeing God in his glorious power and grace, Paul says, this is the very God who is working in you for his good pleasure. God's not sitting up there, arms crossed, scowled face. Oh, Matt blew it Tuesday. I'm just going to grind him into the dust. It is his good pleasure to come down alongside of us in our suffering, in our weakness, in our sin, working in us. Working in us, shaping us, and making us like his son, Jesus. It's his good pleasure. He smiles down on us like his children who look up at a loving father, seeking his guidance and his help. God wants to be in relationship with us and work in us. And it's his great pleasure, his good pleasure to do that. I, I hope you hear that this morning. I hope you hear that he has good pleasure working in you. 
This is the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is this, the evil one speaking into our ears saying, you're not good enough. You're a failure. God's not proud of you. Look what you've done. It pushes us away from God. It makes us run from God. But the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit that the Bible talks about, the sweet conviction draws us to a God who has great good pleasure in working in us. In our weaknesses, he is strong. The difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction draws us through the power of the Holy Spirit to a Savior God. Condemnation, we run from him. And in so doing, lose the very thing that, that is the power to defeat sin. It is Jesus. Now, it'd be amiss for me not to point out one thing here. I, I hesitate to bring this up because it is a textual debate. And I, I believe that in our lack of understanding and, and, and the pride that we have sometimes, that it leads us to neglect the overall message, the overarching theme of our text here in Philippians 2. But it's here. It's here, so I have to address it. These verses, uh, 12 and 13, are actually one sentence in the Greek. And, and Paul is using a paradox here. This is a paradox. There's a, a holy tension that we work out our salvation, but it is God at work in us. And we get so many people that get caught up on us working out our salvation. So let me be really clear here what Paul is not saying. Um, he is not saying that salvation is by works. Because, because we know in Ephesians that he makes it very clear that our salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And that it is not by works so that no man may boast. He makes it that doesn't get any clearer than that. So I just want to address that and make that clear. But here's kind of the idea that Paul is, is pointing out in this, is that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to good works. We aren't saved by good works that we do. We are saved to good works. This thinking is so difficult for us because of our Western kind of earning mindset. We are constantly battling the idea of you get what you deserve or you get what you work for. And here's the good news. That is not kingdom, God's kingdom, economics. That's not how God's kingdom economics work. In God's kingdom, we get what he worked for. We get what he deserves. And in the continued revelation of that truth, I am undone. I am being rebuilt and energized to do what is right in his eyes. That's what Paul's really pointing out, that God's grace fuels 
inspires and motivates our good works. Now, I'm going to share with you a biblical principle that is at the heart, at the core of this gospel, this good news idea. It's in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says this, teacher, this is the Pharisees um, questioning Jesus, trying to get him in trouble, trying to get him to mess up. This is what they did. Religious leaders were so offended by Jesus. They're always trying to trick him into saying something heretical so that they could stone him and kill him. There is murderous intentions behind this question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. How these, it, This must have just drove the Pharisees and Sadducees crazy. They had devoted their lives to the law. They had memorized the law. They, I mean, they, they spent all their time studying it and enforcing it on the people. And here Jesus comes up and he says, love God, love others. All of it. Law, prophets, everything you've read, everything you've studied, everything you believe about. Those two things. It all rests on those two things. God said it that way on purpose. He put it in that order for a reason. Because we can never truly live out love for others until we walk in love with God. Our love for God informs, fuels, solidifies, and is acted out in our love for others. This is a kingdom principle we struggle with, but it is key to everything, everything that Paul is talking about. I, I love to use this in, in, in marriage um, seminars and stuff. We think about this. We're called to, to love our spouse, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. That we would love our spouse. That sounds great, doesn't it? It's almost like a Disney movie or romantic comedy. We're just in love all the time. Everything's good. So happy. Yeah, I love doing premarital counseling because we talk about this. And, and I, you know, I, we go through problems that you might have in communication, struggles that we have with our finances and different things, right? Those different things that pop up in our marriages. And I, I love it in premarital. Oh, oh, pastor. That's, the, oh, no. She could never do anything. I mean, that would offend me. I love her too much. You guys ever, ever heard that one? Maybe you're sitting out there, you just got married and you believe it. Anybody here been married longer than five minutes? And no, that's not true. All right, right, right. I mean, it, it doesn't take long, you know, for that honeymoon period to be over, you know. And we, we find out that, that, you know what? I'm not always lovable. Amen? My wife's over there laughing. <laughs> I heard that, you know. No, we, we struggle. You know, I, I say all the time, what happens when you put two sinners under one roof and make them live together? We sin against each other. Now, here's the key. I love my wife as Christ loved me. I love my wife through, it's empowered by my love for God. Totally different 
than all of those romantic comedies we watch, all those Disney stories we grew up with. That knight in shining armor isn't always in that shining armor. That my love for my spouse isn't dependent on their performance. It's dependent on Christ's performance on the cross. That's how marriages last. I'm able to love my spouse when they're unlovable because of what Jesus did for me. And it's in that love that I can love others properly. You see, what happens when we put other people on that pedestal of being perfectly loving and wonderful, we're putting them on the altar of our heart where only Christ can be. He's, on the, he's the only one that can fulfill us and give us lasting joy. He's the only one that deserves the throne of our hearts. He's the only one that deserves our praise. But when we put a spouse there or, or some preacher there or something else there, they will inevitably leave us wanting, distraught, and confused. Only Jesus. This is that kingdom principle that it's through our relationship with God that we can actually really truly love others. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God in and under and all around our working out of our salvation. Our working out is God's in working. I'll leave us with this thought too as we work through this idea of progressive sanctification that God is continually changing and growing us. From our perspective, we're working at it. We're going for it. You know, 6 a.m., the alarm's going off, and I'm getting in God's Word, or I'm exercising, trying to be healthy, trying to study Him. And I'm doing all of these things. But, but can we just be honest? When it's all said and done, and we see God face to face, who's done the heavy lifting? <laughs> I mean, Really? We're not going to be standing at the pearly gates going, oh, so glad I did so good on my sanctification. You're not, there's not going to be somebody going, I deserve this, I'm in. That's not how it's going to be. That's not how it's going to be. Man, I'm going to be a weeping, teary mess thanking Jesus for the sacrifice he's made for the, the terrible person I am. Praise God. Praise God. He gets all the glory then. That's what it's all about. That my life would glorify him. He deserves it. He deserves the glory. We should never take any of it for ourselves. So all of this leads us to the next part of our text in verses 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, now remember what we talked about last week before I jump into this. You know, we got to remember what we talked about last week. This isn't a list of do's and don'ts. This is Paul telling us who we are. Because remember, he just said, it is God who works within us, will within us. 
at his good pleasure to do so. So we do all things. So we do all things without grumbling or disputing that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Underline that, that phrase there in your Bible. You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We want to pull out here is this, that we shine brightest when we are closest to the light. We shine brightest when we are closest to the light. Just like what we talked about last week, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is God telling us who we are in him. He says, you shine as lights when we're holding fast to him. This holding fast, this idea of holding fast is the Greek word epeho. And it is a fixing our attention on or meditating on the word of life. It is being stayed on the word of God, keeping close watch, letting it soak into our minds and hearts the reality of the good news, the deeper understanding of grace, the knowledge of God that we gain from Scripture. I think this is where we can, can miss the boat just a little bit. We, we, we go and we get saved. We, God does that work in us and, and we're on fire. We're so thankful and we're in his word all the time and we're working these things all the time. And, but over, over time, we, the fire gets a little dimmer. It's not as exciting. We, we kind of lose that fervor that we initially had. That that salvation event was like it. You see, we need a fresh revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Our continued sanctification, God's working within us, we are desperate for a new realization of his grace. I think I love to think about it this way. And as, as God is working in me and revealing to me more of who he is, I, it's like I, I get a glimpse of the cross from a distance. That the Son of God came and, and died for me. I see that cross, those three crosses, up on a hill in the distance. I see that one cross in the middle. And that's my Savior who died for me. And that realization draws me to repentance. Draws me to put my faith in his perfect life. Sinless life. And the death and his resurrection. Now as I continue to, to dive into his word, he reveals to me more and more of what that death on the cross actually meant. You know, that, that even while I was a sinner, those, those years and years that I was actually an enemy of his, that he loved me. The realization that, that while I was still sinning, that, that Jesus knew me. And he, he 
he knew the sins that I would commit. He saw every sinful deed, every terrible sinful thought, and he still went to the cross. I don't know about you, but when I, I have those revelations that can only come from God, it feels like he's just drawing me nearer, drawing me nearer to the cross. And as I get closer, I see, I see his side that was gashed open. And I see the wounds from the side of the cross. And I'm undone. And time will go on. And I'll grow more and I'll learn more about him. Then he'll reveal, you know, some more sin in my life. By his grace and his Holy Spirit brings that conviction and says, Hey, Matt, you need to work on this stuff over here. I know you thought I didn't know about it, but here it is. He starts to work on those things. And he draws me closer to who he is. Moves me around to the front of the cross and I see his face. We can never, never, we will never understand or grasp the fullness of the cross and the glory of Jesus Christ until he comes again. But until he comes again, we should be running after it, seeking after it, reading his word. God, I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I want to, to look into your word and understand what's happening. What does it mean for my life? That continued revelation of who God is. It's, that is holding fast that he's talking about. We will shine brightest when we are closest to the light. I love that. I love that word study, the epeo. It talks about that fixing our attention on, meditating on. You'll, I love memorizing scripture. It's a great way to, to meditate on God's word. Now, I just want to give you a, a quick uh, thing on memorizing scripture. We don't memorize scripture just so that we can spout off scripture. Right, because we could just memorize scripture and you know trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding and all your ways and knowledge and direct your path. You know, and we can spout off scripture that way and do that. That's not gonna do us any good. When we memorize scripture, we memorize scripture with the purpose of preaching the scripture to ourselves. So so as we memorize, do as we memorize that scripture, it's the idea that we actually are putting it into practice in our lives. So trust in the Lord. What does it mean to trust in the Lord, God Almighty? That he's in control. He's numero uno. And we can trust in him. With what? All of our heart. Everything we hold dear our spouse, our kids, how we support them, our finances, our tomorrow. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Okay, I've got some understanding here. So Lord, what in the world are you doing? What's happening in my life doesn't make any sense. Lean not on 
Matt's understanding. But rather, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Lord, you are God. You are in control, not me. You see what's happening here? We're not just memorizing scripture to spell out scripture. We're, we memorize scripture to preach it to ourselves. You need to be your own best preacher, all right? You need to be preaching the gospel to yourself each and every day. That's what, that's what this holding fast to is talking about, meditating on his word, memorizing his word, preaching it to ourselves as we grow in him. This is how we shine. And the key is next, by holding fast the word of life. We love God's word, the truth of the gospel, and it is life. Let's continue on. Verse 17. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is it. All of this stuff that Paul's been talking about, all of these things that he's revealing to the church in Philippi and to us today, this good news of the gospel, this in working that, that only God can do in us, that it's, it's only God who can change the hearts of man. And this is a supernatural, divine intervention that is amazing and mind-boggling. He says, because of that, because of who he is, and because of what he's done, rejoice. Rejoice. You know, the theme that we're talking about, finding joy in the journey, this is our joy. That God loves us, wants to be in relationship with us. And he is working his will in and through us. Is that good news today for anybody here? Amen. Amen. This is rejoice with Paul. That's, so that's what we're going to do today. My whole fourth point that we have in the notes is celebrate or rejoice because of this supernatural divine intervention. So I've asked the band to come up. And they're going to lead us in a song. I hope they are anyways. Are they on a... Jordan, are you anywhere in here? They're on their way. They took the long way around. So we are going to rejoice. So there's a song called Rejoice. Go figure. Why don't you stand with me? This is our response to the gospel. This is our response to the good news. Listen to this song we're about to sing. Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. It is his good pleasure to meet with us to work within us. Rejoice. Lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your king. And with trembling, rejoice. Now I love the second verse. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, bought with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let you go. 
Now all our sickness and all our sorrow, Jesus carried up the hill. He's walked this path before us and he's walking with us still, turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in this battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Amen? I mean, that, that is, that's Philippians in a song. So let's sing this because of what Jesus has done for you and me.